0: I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Well, hello and welcome to a brand new series here on the resource room where we're going to kind of break down some of the routines that I believe should be in every single resource room. We're going to start with math because honestly i feel like all of these routines are very easy to implement and it's something that i feel like i haven't talked about in quite a while so i want to talk about math over the next four weeks we're going to talk about four things that i feel are critical for you to have in your resource room but i don't want to make you wait four weeks to know what the four things are so i'm going to share those today but we're going to dive deep into one so I believe that we should have computation in some form, whether that's addition and subtraction with regrouping, whether that's long division, whatever it might be, we need to have computation in one way or another. And that's what we're going to talk about today in this episode. But I also think it's important to include math facts, word problems, and other critical skills that are important Or able to be done based on that particular level. And I don't want to dive too deep because there will be a whole episode about it. But for example, we can find area and perimeter of figures of squares if we know how to multiply. If we have students just working on basic math facts, I wouldn't throw area and perimeter at them. But if we have students who are working on multiplication or division, then yeah, let's throw some things that are kind of within their spectrum or within their zone of proximal development. Let's throw it at them so that they have a little bit of exposure. As I'm describing these four things, I do just want to be upfront and honest. I include all four of these things in each level of my math intervention. And I want to share that with you. So I have a free week that includes all of the levels of my math intervention, like week one of each, so that you can kind of take a look and see if that's something that would meet the needs of your students. So I'll link that in the show notes. And if I reference it, whether it be this week or in upcoming episodes, you at least know what I'm talking about. Go to the show notes, click the link. All you have to do is enter your email address and you can get a free week of each of those. And you'll kind of get an idea of what am I talking about when I say computation or here's how we're working on math facts or here's how we're working on word problems, other critical skills, that kind of thing. So it'll allow you to kind of take a peek at that and see what you think for many of us, we have a lot of students with computation goals. And computation, in my opinion, we might think of, you know, two-digit or three-digit addition or subtraction. We might think of some of those long division or multiplication with some larger numbers. But to be perfectly honest, that also includes just simple math facts. If we're talking about a first grader who's trying to master five plus five or using some of their tools and resources to be able to find sums within 20. All of that is computation. And I believe we should be incorporating that into all of our math groups throughout the day. One question that I get asked all the time, and I, I never want to sound real like condescending or like a smart ass, but I'm just going to say it. Oftentimes when I get this question, I'm like, come on, you're a teacher. You know what to do. I get asked all the time, what level do I put my students at? Where do I start them in the intervention? And here is the most simple answer. What is their IEP goal? If they are seeing you for math, for math instruction, or for a math small group, more than likely, it's because they have an IEP goal. What's the IEP goal? So if you gave them um, addition and subtraction um, sums within 20, that kind of math goal, start them in addition and subtraction math facts. If they're doing long division, start them in long division. If they're somewhere in the middle, start them at the level that makes sense. Another question is they don't have an IEP goal, I'm working on that, how do I assess them? I have some assessments that come with my math intervention If if you're open to that or if you already own that you can grab those and just see what can they do what can they not do to be honest you don't need a formal intervention you don't need anything complex it's perfectly fine to throw a time math fact test at them and see how they do it's perfectly fine to make up some problems on the dry erase board and ask them to solve it where it doesn't include regrouping where it does include regrouping okay now we're subtracting Can they regroup with subtraction? That kind of thing. It is fine. Get a good sense of what they can do and what they can't do and start them at whatever makes sense for them. One of the biggest things that I really want to get across in this episode is sometimes when we do things every single day, it gets boring for us. It gets boring for your students. And so I want to talk really about two different things. One is kind of the I do, we do, you do model, things that I might do with that. And then also ways that I can make doing the same thing every day a little bit more fun. But let's first start with the I do, we do, you do model. So early on in the school year or whenever I first get a new student, I am not going to throw that intervention book in front of them and be like, hey, solve these multiplication problems. No way. Not going to work. Not going to be effective. And it is definitely not the best use of our time. So when we are just starting out the year or starting out a new level, um, for example, maybe we have been kicking butt at addition with regrouping, but when it's time to go to subtraction with regrouping for the first time, I'm not going to just throw the book at them like I was with addition. We're going to have to slow it down. We're going to have to take it back to some I do's. And if you're familiar with that, that's exactly what it sounds like you are going to do a lot of the thinking you're going to do a lot of the talking and the writing and they're just going to be copying maybe answering a question or two here or there to keep them engaged but overall you're doing the hard work almost as if you think of it as being a classroom teacher and you're teaching math lesson one today or unit one lesson three today That's what you're doing. You are showing them, you're modeling that. Maybe you're getting out some manipulatives. Maybe you're using your hundreds chart. You're showing them each and every step and it's all on you. Yeah, you might ask them to write down something here or there, go through the motions with you, but initially it needs to be all about you. Depending on my group, that might happen for two days. That might happen for two weeks. We might be like that for a month. We'll stay in that phase as long as it's needed. Sometimes even maybe my first four or five or six problems might be an I do. And then we might switch over to a we do. Or I mean, to be honest, I've been in the I do phase for a really long time with certain groups or certain um, sometimes it's a disability category that is like, man, this is just really difficult for them to get and they need more time take the time that they need when you feel like hey they're they're getting kind of tired of listening to me all the time because they already know what to do then you can switch over to that we do where then you're doing it together you're doing it as a group for me once they're starting to kind of get an idea of okay this is how we subtract with regrouping or this is how we add whenever we might have to regroup Then I might take turns going to the person in the first chair. I might say, okay, student number one, can you tell me what is nine plus three? How can I use my hundreds chart to help me solve nine plus three? I'll listen to their answer. The rest of the group will do what they say. Then I'll go, okay, person number two, he just told me that the answer to nine plus three is 12. Hmm, but I can't write down 12, I have to put down a two, and then what do I do? And so I might go from person to person and ask them to kind of help me think through that problem. One thing that my kids love to do while we're in this stage is to be the boss. And so I will pick that student, you know, student number one, it's their turn, so they're going to be the boss. They're going to tell the students what to do with their hundreds chart, and they're going to say, put your finger on nine. Okay, all the kids have their fingers on nine. Count up three. And then they count up three. We practice that and they get to take turns being the boss. It's a wonderful way to practice that together. It's a wonderful way for them to teach what they know. You can start to see, oh, they're not understanding that we put our finger on nine and count up three, or they're not understanding that we have to carry the one. You can start to see that breakdown individually and start to work on addressing some of those things. And again, you might be doing that for a month, two months. It's a process and that's okay. Take the time that your students need until they're ready to do it on their own. In my opinion, the on your own phase is when you can start throwing a little bit of fun. Because honestly, you are going to be asking them to do some hard work. Just because maybe they've been able to do it in a guided fashion where you might say, okay, tell me what is this step? Okay, person number two, what is the next step? And the next step Just because they're good in that highly structured environment does not mean that they are going to just flourish when you say, okay, do number six on your own. It's hard. So you've got to kind of build in some fun ways to help them do some hard things. One thing that I really, really love is having a prize box problem. And so for me, oftentimes when we kind of get to this level where we're ready to start trying some things on our own, I'll set a timer on my phone. So let's say I'm making this up right now. Let's say I have a group that ends at 1.30. I get them at 1 o'clock. It ends at 1.30. Let's say I want to spend about 10 or 12 minutes working on computation. I will set a timer for 110 and it goes off every day, Monday through Friday. It's going to go off at that time and eventually I'll train my kids to know when the timer goes off, the very next problem will be our prize box problem. So sometimes we might only, if we're still in that we do, or we're transitioning over to, okay, I want you to try this on your own. Maybe we're only on number five. That's fine. There are eight questions on the page. We don't have to get every single one of them done. Maybe we're on number five and number six becomes our prize box problem. And so then I can tailor that prize box problem to be whatever I think they're ready for. So maybe that's getting the whole problem correct. Probably not if we're early on. But maybe, maybe, maybe it's just I want to see you regroup. I want to see you get nine plus three equals 12 and know what the heck to do with that one. And if you do that, you can get in the prize box or you can get in the candy box or you can get a gummy bear or whatever it happens to be, whatever your reward might be. For the longest time, I did the prize box problem and my kids loved it, but then Every day we were getting in the prize box or whatever. So I wanted to kind of change it up a little bit to where maybe it was more candy or they got a sticker or something on their hundreds chart or or whatever. And so with that, then I kind of transitioned to the mystery number, which my kids really, really loved. And I did as well. With the mystery number, remember there are eight problems on my math intervention page when we're talking about like addition and subtraction with regrouping. Um, multiplication with larger digits or long division. There are eight questions on that page. I might pick a mystery number somewhere between zero and eight. And if when our time is up, when my timer goes off on my phone, we'll reveal the mystery number. And if they have that problem correct, then they get their prize, the sticker, the gummy bear, the prize box, whatever it happens to be, if they have it correct. What I love about this is I could kind of tailor it to fit whatever we were doing that particular day or whatever our schedule was. So let's say I was dealing with a behavior in the hallway or I got stuck talking to a teacher and we there was no way we were going to have enough time before that timer went off to get all the way to number eight. Then maybe my mystery number is like number two or maybe, hey, things are going according to plan. Mrs. Wilp actually showed up at the door on time we got settled we got right to work maybe the mystery number then is going to be number seven or number eight or number six or something that's a little further along maybe i've already taken a look at that and i have noticed that number five is subtraction across zero and lord we're not ready for that i'm not going to pick number five maybe we have been working on that and i do want to pick number five because i do want to see if you can do that Whatever the case may be, I can pick whatever number I want to write on that little post-it note and hide underneath my phone so that when my timer goes off, we can reveal the mystery number. It's a fun way to motivate them because, yeah, maybe you only do numbers one, two, and three and you screw around the whole time. But if that mystery number is five, you didn't do it. At the same time, it could be number two, and you only did one, two, and three, so you're good. It's just a fun way to incentivize them. They don't know what the number is, and I can be strategic about what I want to look at. Then, as they're working on those, I go through, and I might put a little dot. Let's say I noticed that that 9 plus 3 was incorrect. Maybe they put thirteen. I could put a dot above the hundreds place or the ones place or whatever column that happens to be in so that they can go back and look at that and correct it. So as they're working independently, I'm going through and checking and saying, oh, that's not a three, what are we gonna do about that so that they can correct their errors? And then it's not like, oh, I'm checking number problem number three because that was the mystery number and I had no idea if you're right or wrong. Usually I know what that mystery number is and I'm grading number three really hardcore so that we can make sure we get that correct. I also have a little printable that I will occasionally print for them and we'll play math bingo. So I, whenever we do this, I will share the numbers ahead of time. So if I already know the answers to numbers one through eight, I can write those eight answers on the board, not in order. They can write it on their bingo cards. And then from there, guys, this is how my brain works. I just had an idea. I can make an editable form. And then you could also save time And your kids won't have to write the answers. You could input the answer. Ooh, I'm gonna work on that. I'll put it on my to-do list and I will share it in the show notes because, oh, that'll be so much fun. Okay, anyway, back to what I was saying. Before this idea that I just had, I would write the answers on the board and they would create their own bingo board. But in my aha moment, I realized I can make the board editable and you could type in the answers ahead of time, print off the bulletin or the, the bingo board with that as they solve number one they can x out the answer if their answer isn't on the page then they did something incorrect and they can go back and self check a little bit and be like oh man you know i had a three here but it should have been a two whatever that might be and then they can try to get three in a row Um, with that it is just like a three by three bingo board because we only have eight problems so one is the free space in the middle And then around it are all of the answers to their problems. So I'll link that in the show notes so that you can see that. And I can make it so that when you insert the answer to say number one, it could be in different boxes on different forms. Ooh, Okay. Anyway, back to what we're doing here. So you could do a prize box problem. You could do a mystery number or you could do math bingo. I rotate through those things all the time. A lot of times I might do the mystery number for two or three weeks and then I'm like, Ugh, I'm getting tired of the mystery number, we're moving on. Now let's do math bingo for two or three weeks. Ugh, I'm getting tired of math bingo, let's go to whatever. And over the course of the year, you've thrown all of them at them and it just keeps it new and fresh, but also kind of routine in those three or four weeks until either you or your students get bored. In each of these episodes, before I wrap it up, I want to talk a little bit about how we can progress monitor these goals in what you're doing every single day. So with this, I want to say, I'm going to tell you what I do and it might work for your goals. Or you might be like, ah, Amanda, that will never work for my goals because blah, blah, blah. Here's my advice. You get to write your own goals. You might have inherited some crappy ones. You might have written some crappy ones yourself. But as the year goes on, or as you have to revise IEPs for one reason or another, adjust those goals so that you can monitor in what you're doing every day. Here's what that looks like for me. You can do two things. Maybe on Fridays, you give them some progress monitoring papers instead of their booklet. And with that, you can say, okay, guys, this is what I did with my kids for a long time. There would be 10 questions that might be addition or 10 questions that might be subtraction. And if my students had a goal that was written as five addition and five subtraction with or without regrouping or whatever, I'd give them that paper with the 10 problems. And I would ask them to choose whatever five they want. I don't care. That is one way that you could progress munder. You could give them something that is different on Fridays as more of a formal assessment. But remember, I want us to be thinking about how can you do this so routinely that you don't have to stop what you're doing to progress munder. You could literally collect data any day of the week, anytime. So for me, if I have goals of subtraction with regrouping, When we're working on our book, Subtraction with Regrouping, I'm going to have a day where I do not help them. Or if I do, I mark up the book so that I know if they had that problem correct or incorrect the first time. For example, earlier I was saying I might put a dot above that nine plus three where they had 13 and it should have been 12. I might put a dot above that. Now when I go back and look, I know that that student did not get that right on the first try because it has a dot over it. They don't know that later I'm tracking that, but I know that I can look back and say, okay, out of these eight problems, they were able to solve two of them correctly. They were able to solve six of them correctly, whatever it might be. So with that, I can still help them in the moment. But later when I look back, because I've put those little dots or a check mark if they had it right then i know exactly what they were able to do now most of us don't write goals of when given eight problems the student will be able to solve them with 80 percent accuracy a lot of us do when given 10 problems or when given five problems so with that i might just choose the first five and that's what i'm going to grade for that particular day maybe i grade it over two days and it's eight problems from one day and the first two the next day or whatever you think makes sense but with that you're already doing it every day so you'll easily be able to throw that at them and see how they do oops i should apologize i just said all of that like you're using the intervention i am talking to you like you're using it so go download the free week so that you can see if it would make progress monitoring in your groups a little bit easier but Let me backpedal a little bit. Let's say you're not using my intervention. Find a way in your daily routine to give them five or 10 or whatever their goal says. Give them that number of problems in what you're doing every day. I don't care if it's a mathaids.com worksheet that you've printed off and it has 10 problems on it. That works. Find a way to do whatever it is you do on a daily basis. Throw it at them and see how they do with those problems on their own and again you can mark it up like I do so that you know and then it's not like oh gosh we have no clue what we're doing we've been practicing this for two whole weeks and now you're progress monitoring so find a way to incorporate it into what you're already doing every single day if you are a math intervention owner or that's something that you're considering, um, a friend of mine, her name is Annie, has been working to add, like she is taking the math intervention booklet. So let's say it's week seven of addition and subtraction. She is taking that and making a test to go along with it. And that came from a suggestion within the group, the uh, resource room Facebook group, where somebody said, you know, with the reading tests or the reading series, you have reading tests. Can we get that for the math? And so Annie's been working to create those. She's just kind of chucking away at here's, you know, two digit, get that done. Here's three digit, get that done. So as she finishes them, we're just adding it to the problem or to the product. But they have six problems that you could give to your students to progress monitor. Maybe it's on Friday. Maybe it's whenever you finish a booklet. Maybe it's whenever progress monitoring is scheduled. It looks very similar to the books. It would copy two sided. So, one side is all of the computation. And then on the back side of that, you can get some of the other skills like telling time or counting money, those kinds of things. If you want that, if you don't want it, copy the six problems, give it to them. And I sometimes like to have that extra problem because then you can use number one as an example and turn them loose on the other five. So, that is also an option for easy progress monitoring. My computer tells me I've been talking for 26 minutes and I'm here to tell you that it took 26 minutes to tell you about 10 minutes of my math group. So that is just a small fraction of what I do in my 30 minute math group. And then next week we'll add a few more minutes to that so that you can start to build a routine within your small groups that will help you master standards, that will help you progress monitor a little easier, And most of all, we'll let you create a resource room that is tailored to the needs of your students without you spending hours and hours planning and printing and searching all the corners of the internet for things to do in your small groups. So I'll see you next week where we will talk all about math facts. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.